Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. Once again, we thank you for just all of the things that you've allowed us to do for you. Thank you, Lord, for the trials you brought us through and the trials you're bringing us through. We do thank you as well for your Holy Spirit. We know you are present. We just pray for a fresh filling of your spirit. We pray for sensitivity to your Holy Spirit, sensitivity to your presence. We do thank you for your word and pray that you help us to understand and remember as well as apply your word to our lives. And I do pray for the gift of teaching and that I would decrease while you increase and you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Genesis chapter 30. Um, the title is Blessed to Be a Blessing. Blessed to Be a Blessing. And so, it's just so far in our uh, studies of Genesis, and, and when we talk about Jacob's life, uh, Jacob has been in Haran for 14 years up until this point. And essentially, he served two years, um, two seven-year terms, I should say, for Rachel. He served the first seven years um, specifically for her. That's the, the, the daughter of Laban that he wanted. He was in love with just Rachel and then was tricked by Laban into marrying Leah. And so he ended up serving another seven years for her. So two seven-year terms, essentially, uh, for Rachel. And so that's how we come up with the 14 years um, in Haran, that is, up until this time. And so we are going to continue to, to read and, and, and see things in the life of, of Jacob and, and all the things that are going on with his relationship uh, with his wives and um, also his relationship with his uncle Laban. So we're going to see these things. We're going to see some spiritual truths that I like to call spiritual nuggets. And so what we're going to do is just dive in and continue to study the word of God in Genesis 30. And we're going to see what the Lord has for us. And so let's look at verse one in Genesis 30. It says, now when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, a Rachel envy her sister. And she said to Jacob, give me children or else I die. And so Rachel obviously felt like she were, she was going to die if she did not have any children. And part of the reason she was feeling this way was because many women at that time in that culture, they would feel shame if they were not able to bear children. So if they were barren, they would feel this shame. And also, um, she felt this way that she was going to die because her sister Leah, who was technically uh, Jacob's uh, first wife because he was tricked into marrying her, her sister was, was pretty much her rival at this point. And she was having children by the man she loved. And also that same man who... Uh, she was supposed to be in this exclusive relationship with. But of course, we know it didn't work out that way because her dad, he intervened with some trickery. 
And so she just felt like she was going to die seeing her children with these babies and she's barren. And so as a result, uh, Rachel became envious of her sister. And the scripture is clear in verse one. She envied her. She envied Leah. You see, the, the Bible says that envy is actually a sign of carnality. It's a sign of somebody who is operating in the flesh, in the sin nature. In other words, this is a person who is um, not governed by the Holy Spirit. Speaking of a carnal person, they're not governed by the Holy Spirit, not allowing the Holy Spirit to, to lead them and to um, also have his way in and through them. And so she was showing some carnality here by being envious. But the Bible also tells us in the Old Testament in Proverbs 1430 that that. Um, you know, envy is rottenness to the bones. In Proverbs 14:30, it says that a sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. You see, this sound heart will be like a like a satisfied mind or a satisfied life. It, it speaks of speaking of the heart, it speaks of one's innermost being the core of that individual. And so a healthy heart, that's life to the body. But envy is rottenness to the bone. So in other words, envy is, is detrimental to a person's mental, emotional, and spiritual health from the inside out. And so that is what she is experiencing. Speaking of Rachel, that's why she just felt like she's just going to die. And Jacob's anger in verse two was aroused against Rachel. And he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? See, Jacob was upset with her because uh, her having um, children or not having children was not in his control. All he could do was, quote unquote, spend time with her in a, in a sexual way. Obviously, she was one of his wives. See, Jacob understood that the Lord is sovereign, that this is something that is in his control and not his. And so, yes, of course, he here he demonstrated anger at what she said as she lashed out at him. And just like Jacob, when it comes to understanding that God is sovereign, that God is ultimately in control, we, we would also do well to understand that there's only so much that we can do. There's only so much we can do, but it, it is God. He is the one who's in control. He is the supreme ruler, which is what we mean when we say that he is the sovereign God. He's the supreme ruler. You can't get any higher than him, and he doesn't need anybody's permission to do what he does. But here's the thing. Whatever he does, whatever he decides, it's always good. It's always righteous. It's always holy. Why? Because that's who he is. And so his actions and, and whatever he does is going to be an outflow of his attributes. It's going to be a, an outflow of his character. God is in control. Jacob understood that, especially in this case when it came to um, having children. And, and we would do well to understand that as well. And indeed, children are a blessing from the Lord. As it tells us in Psalm 127 verse 3 says, behold, 
children are a heritage or inheritance from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Both of them, Jacob, Rachel, obviously Leah, she saw it that way. They saw it that way. But unfortunately, we're living at a day and age. We're living in a world where not everyone sees it that way, that children are a blessing from the Lord. You know, some people, they, they see them as a hindrance to the lifestyle that they want to live. And so they go through a process called abortion. Abortion for them is, is a way out so they can continue to live the lifestyle. And yes, they may uh, bring up, and I'm talking about proponents of abortion, they may bring up, but what about this? What about this? Which, first of all, is a very low percentage of the topics that they bring up or the scenarios they bring up because most of the time it's because the baby to them is a hindrance to the lifestyle that they want to live. They want to continue to do what they do and not take care of the responsibility, which is a baby. But the scripture never teaches us that uh, we add another wrong on top of one wrong. The Bible never teaches that. And that's what, you know, some people do um, have children out of wedlock, for example, and, and the baby supposedly gets in their way. Yes, that was a sin, but you don't add wrong on top of wrong. The Bible, once again, does not teach that. Babies, whether in the womb or out of the womb, are made in the image of God. You see, but they, they understood, and many of us understand that, yes, children are a blessing. Verses 3 and 4, back in uh, Genesis 30, it says, uh, So she said, this is Rachel, Here is my maid Bilhah. Go into her, and she will bear a child on my knees that I also may have children by her. Uh, Then she gave him Bilhah, her maid as wife, or as a secondary wife, uh, which we can call a concubine. And and Jacob went into her, has sexual relations with Bilhah, this concubine. And so now, instead of waiting on God, Rachel would use the same strategy that Sarah used when she gave her maidservant, Hagar, to Abraham, to have children through her, that same strategy. See, Rachel gave Bilhah, her maid, to to him as a concubine and stated that she will bear a child on my knees. And there's many different ideas of what that uh, phrase means, but but ultimately, um, she will welcome, she will be the one to welcome this new child at birth. And this child through Bilhah, her maid, her, the, the concubine of, of her husband, she's, this child is um, you know, going to be like her own because that's how it was in that, with this situation in that culture that children born to the second wife were regarded as belonging to the first wife, in this case, Rachel. And by the way, this type of arrangement was accepted socially during that time, that is, in that culture. But I got to tell you that socially and and the culture are not the word of God. God designed marriage the way he did between one biological man, one biological woman. And you see here when when people go outside of God's structure of the way he set it up, you see the issues mounting and mounting even between sisters. You see, what is socially or culturally accepted should never take precedence over the word of God. 
I don't care how many people voted. I don't care how many people are in the majority. God by himself is a majority. So we would do well as believers to align ourselves with God and his word. In verses five through eight, Genesis 30, it says, and Bilhah conceived, she got pregnant and she bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged my case. He's judged me innocent, in other words, and, and he has also heard my voice and given me a son. And therefore, she called his name Dan. So notice that Rachel is, is naming the children. They were, you know, in that culture, again, with this type of setup, you know, it's like they, they were hers, accepted as hers. So she called this child Dan, uh, which means judge and Rachel's maid Bilhah conceived again, and she bore Jacob another son. Then Rachel said, with great wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister. I've struggled with my sister. Speaking of Leah, and indeed, I have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali, which means my wrestling or my struggle. See, Rachel named the children based on her circumstance, the children that Bilhah, her maid, Jacob's concubine had, she named it. And she named them based once again on her situation, which she was dealing with, which she had dealt with. She felt that her name had been cleared with the birth of Dan, that her name, that she's been vindicated. That's how she felt that the Lord had judged her case. The Lord had judged and cleared her name to the point where it's been proven now that she has not done anything wrong in, in all of this situation that she's in, this crazy marriage situation and whatever's going on. And so Dan is the name of Bilhah's uh, first son that, again, Rachel accepted as her own. And with the birth of uh, Naphtali, she believed that she prevailed over her sister in the competition for Jacob's total devotion. See, her and her sister, Leah, they've been going back and forth. You know, Leah at this point um, already has uh, children. She has four children so far, Reuben, Sibian, um, Levi, and Judah, according to uh, chapter 29, Rachel, Barron. So you have this competition for his love and for children and all that. And so she feels at this point that since her maid, you know, had these babies that, now, like I said, she receives as her own that, okay, she's, she's up ahead now in, in this competition. But when Leah saw in verse 9 that she had stopped bearing, she took Zilpah, her, her maid, and gave her to Jacob as wife or as a concubine, so another concubine. And Leah's maid, Zilpah, bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, a troop comes. So she called his name Gad. And Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, I am happy for the daughters will call me blessed. So she called his name Asher. You see, Gad's name could mean either troop or fortune. Uh, Some versions say good fortune. And then Asher's name means happy. And so Leah used the same method that Rachel used, that, that Sarah used when she was still Sarai. And she, too, gave her maid to Jacob, her husband, as a concubine so he can have children. She could have children through her. 
This also could be called the surrogate mother method. If you want to give another name to what's going on here. And so Leah would name Gad based on what his birth meant. So like I said, it could, you know, his name could mean good fortune. So if that's the preferred meaning to her, Gad's birth was good fortune. And then, of course, she would name Asher based on her emotions, which would be happy. In Genesis 30, verses 14 through 16, it says, Now Reuben went in the days of wheat harvest, so he's still a child, and he found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. Uh, But she said to her, Is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, therefore, he will lie with you tonight for your son's mandrakes. And when Jacob came out of the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, you must come in to me. Spend time with me because I have surely hired you with my son's mandrakes. So those mandrakes that Reuben found in the field. And he, speaking of Jacob, he lay with Leah that night. And so speaking of mandrakes, what is a mandrake? See, a mandrake is a small orange-colored berry-like fruit called a love apple. And it was believed to excite sexual desire and also help with fertility. And so at this point, Leah had stopped bearing children and Rachel still haven't had any technically of her own from her body. And so they both felt like they needed these mandrakes to help with their fertility. And what we see here is that Rachel would lend uh, Jacob to Leah for the night just so she can get some of Reuben's, Leah's son's, mandrakes. What does that show? That shows that, that Rachel was desperate. It's a moment of desperation for her. And I just wonder tonight, have you ever been so desperate that that you were willing to try almost anything? You're just in a crazy situation and and you just can't see your way out of it. You don't know how it's going to be resolved. You try all of these uh, different ways of helping the situation as nothing is working. And so you found yourself maybe in a desperate situation. And I know some of you have been there. Maybe you're in that situation right now where you just in that moment of desperation. But don't be so desperate to the point that that you start seeing or we, I should say, including myself, could start seeing more power in things or people than we see in God. Because they were seeing that there was there's more power in these mandrakes than they did in God. Oh, God is sovereign. He is in control is what they should have been thinking. But no, they wanted those mandrakes. And, and Rachel essentially hired out her husband for the night with Leah. I would encourage you that if you're in a desperate situation to just hold on and trust in God. Do not compromise Do not fall into temptation. Do not do anything outside of the word of God. But just 
hold on and trust in him. He, he was going to come through in his timing and in his way. And when he comes through in his timing and in his way, and we truly experience that, we're going to be so glad that we did not give in to the temptation or to that moment of desperation. But it says here in verse 17, as we continue with the narrative, it says, and God listened to Leah and she conceived and she bore Jacob a fifth son. So the fifth son after Judah. You see, notice that it says, and God listened to Leah. See, some would get the wrong idea about that as if she changed God's mind. Whereas the Bible is clear, for example, as in Malachi 3, 6, that is chapter 3, verse 6. The Bible's clear that God does not change. He doesn't change. He doesn't learn anything new. He's not swayed by anybody. He can't unlearn anything either because God is complete. And to suggest that, that, that God could learn anything or be swayed or change his mind on anything, that would, that would pretty much... Uh, pull him down from who he really is. And that would really be unbiblical. See, God is eternal. He, he doesn't change. He knows all things, everything, all at once, past, present, and future. But yet and still, he goes with us. He goes through things with us who live in time. And so they are in time. And so he's going, he doesn't, you know, he's, so they're going through a succession of events, whereas God sees the whole picture, but here he's meeting them right where they are at at this specific time. And so he responded to her prayer according to his will. You see, 1 John 5, verse 14, it says, now this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. You see, his will is already determined. When we pray, our prayers should help us to be more aligned with his will. It's not to change his will because he's not going to change anyway. God is who he is. We don't add to him. We don't take away from him. He doesn't learn anything new. He doesn't change. We already mentioned that. And so whenever we pray, yes, we must come in faith. We must come in faith because the Bible even tells us in Hebrews 11 that without faith, it is impossible to please him. And whoever comes to him, you must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who, guess what, diligently seek him. So, yes, we must come in faith. And we also must come with unconfessed sin, as it tells us in Psalm 66, verse 18. It tells us there that if I regard iniquity in my heart. If I regard sin or, or lawlessness in my heart, then he will not hear me. And so, yes, we must confess sin when it's brought to our attention. And so, this, so if the request on top of that, this prayer of faith and without unconfessed sin, for example, if, it also, if it's also in line with his will, then we'll get what we're requesting. And so his will that was determined in eternity has now fallen out into time. And now God blessed her with conception of a fifth son. 
And so here's the thing, that whatever we get from God is nothing that he has not already determined to give us according to his will and plan. Sometimes God, God is just waiting for us to come to him in prayer, to come to him in faith. He's like, I already know what I want to do, what I'm going to do, but you're going to open up the door. And I'm talking about us opening up the door by coming to him, depending on him, coming to him in faith. You see, the scriptures tell us even um, Jesus in his first coming, that there was a lot of things that he wanted to do in Nazareth. He has the power to do it. Holy Spirit filled. He is God, truly God, truly man. But because they didn't trust in him, they didn't open up the door of faith, so to speak. He didn't do as many things there as he did in other places as far as healing and so forth. See, God is not limited in power. Because, yes, sometimes we could get in his way by not trusting him when we go to him. So we don't want to be the double-minded person who's praying but, but yet doubting. But the point is here is that when God listened to her, she didn't change his mind, but this was his will falling out into that particular moment in time for her life. In verses 18 through 20, Leah said, God has given me my wages or reward because I've given my maid, her maid was who? Zilpah. She's given her maid to her husband. So she called his name Issachar, which means wages or reward. And then Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. And Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment or gift. Now my husband will dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. And so she named him Zebulun. See, Leah named Issachar based on her thought of how the Lord dealt with her. He's rewarding me. He's given me wages. And then in regard to verse 20, you know, there's a line there in verse 20 where it says, you know, now my husband will dwell with me. Um, in some versions, you'll notice that it says, uh, my husband will honor me. And so Zebulon could either mean dwelling or honor. And so she named Zebulon based on her hope regarding how Jacob is going to relate to her. And then afterward, it says in verse 21, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah, which means judgment. And Dinah, by the way, is the only daughter listed in the genealogy of Jacob. But the scriptures, you know, as we continue to read the scriptures, it appears that he had more daughters. According to Genesis, and I'll just throw out a few verses. Genesis 37, verse 35. And Genesis chapter 46 verses 7 and 15. So it appears that he had more daughters, but Dinah's the only one listed. And once again, her name means judgment. And then God remembered Rachel and God listened to her and opened her womb. It's time. You see, this verse just shows that Jacob was correct in Genesis 32 with the fact that God is the one who's in control. He is the sovereign one. He is the supreme ruler and so when, when it says that he remembered her, it's not that God forgot about her, like we would forget things. 
It just means that now it is time for him to turn his attention to her and her situation. It means just like with Noah, how he remembered Noah, it is now time for him to get back to her, just like he got back to Noah uh, earlier in Genesis. Now it's time for him to act in that situation. In verse 23, and she conceived, she bore a son and she said, God has taken away my reproach. He's taken away my disgrace and humiliation. You see, remember, this was a uh, shame, shameful thing and a, and a disgraceful thing when, when women at that time couldn't, um, you know, have, give their husbands children. You know, so again, she was going through this. She was feeling this. She felt like she was going to die at the beginning of the lesson as we shared. But now at this point, she conceived. She gave birth to a son. And now she says that the Lord has taken away her disgrace and humiliation. See, for many of us, there was that guilt and shame of sin that that we've all gone through because we all have a past. Those of us who are uh, saints right now, who've repented and placed our trust in Jesus, we, we all have a past. Some shameful things we've done, we thought, some shameful things that we've said while we were living in sin. While we regarded sin in our hearts. But when we place our faith in Christ. You know, he, that, that shame of sin, that guilt of sin has been removed from our lives. And so, so yes, uh, in regard to Rachel, she was talking about the disgrace, the humiliation, the shame of, of being barren, not giving her husband children. But, but when we think about this spiritually, we, we can understand this. But even on a higher plane, on a higher level, a spiritual level, that although we, yes, we were overburdened with the guilt and the shame of what we've done in the past, of how we treated folks in the past, but thank God that Jesus died for our sins. He took the punishment we deserve. And we received, we've appropriated that forgiveness that is offered to all. Now that guilt and shame has been removed from our lives. There is therefore now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, according to Romans 8. But unfortunately, today, there are still some who are who are in their guilt because they refuse to repent and trust in Jesus Christ as their personal savior and Lord. They're in a place that they don't need to be. The debt has been paid. It just needs to be appropriated once again through faith or you could say trust in Jesus for salvation. In verse 24, it says, so she called his name Joseph. This is Rachel's first son, Joseph. It means he will add. And she said, the Lord shall add to me another son. And so in this name. In Joseph's name, we, we can see Rachel's hope. And his name also turned out to be prophetic because she would go on to have another son by the name of Benjamin in Genesis chapter 35. And so, so far, we, we have this chart I, I want to display here. And, and, and you can take a picture of it. But these are the sons born to Leah Rachel, Bilhah, Zilpah. And so these are the sons. 
There are 12. And one thing to notice is that Leah, the, you know, the, the first wife, technically, even though it came by way of trickery from Laban or deceit from Laban, notice that, that she has 50% of the sons. They came from her. So God honored that first wife. He honored that. And the rest of them had two each. The rest of them being uh, uh, Rachel, Bilhah, and Zilpah. And once again, notice that Leah from, from her line will come um, the priest. That is through the lineage of Levi. Also the kings, the royal line, Judah, the Messiah would come from Leah's line. Even though she wasn't the favorite wife, the preferred wife. Not even the wife that, that Jacob wanted to marry in the first place. But then look at the sons born to, to Rachel. You have Joseph. And we'll see as we continue our studies in Genesis, God would use Joseph to preserve the lives of the Israelites. As he beca- will become second in command in, in Egypt. And Benjamin, by the way, we, we know that uh, the apostle Paul comes from Benjamin, that was his tribe. And so it's very interesting when you get down to it. But then there's another slide if you want to take a picture of that. And this is a list uh, of the sons. And I included also Dinah, uh, the one daughter mentioned. These are them in order. So from oldest to youngest. So we have Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, um, Naphtali, um, Gad, Asher, Issachar, Zebulon, Dinah, the daughter, and we have Joseph and Benjamin. Benjamin hasn't been mentioned yet in our studies, but he, his name is coming up again. Genesis 35. But we continue in our reading here of Genesis 30, verse 25. We want to pick up there. It says, and it came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph, uh, that Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own place and to my own country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you and let me go. For you know my service, which I've done for you. And Laban said to him, please stay. If I have found favor in your eyes, for I've learned by experience that the Lord has has blessed me for your sake. And so after these 14 years of serving Laban in Haran, which is in uh, northwestern uh, Mesopotamia, now you have Jacob wanting to go back home to Canaan, the promised land with his family. Um, However, uh, Laban, we see here, he wants him to stay. This tricky guy, this deceitful guy, deceitful uncle wants him to stay. And so Laban told Jacob, he tells him something interesting. He said, I have learned, and this is in verse 27, I've learned um, by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. What's interesting is that phrase, I have learned by experience. And it's interesting because in Hebrew, when you look at the Hebrew word, the Hebrew definition, uh, to learn by experience means to practice divination. Or it could mean to observe the signs or omens. And if you're not familiar with the term divination, see, divination is the art or practice that seeks to foresee or foretell future events or discover hidden knowledge 
usually by interpretation of omens or by the aid of supernatural powers. So you have these palm readers, these fortune tellers. Today they have these little tiny houses set up. I'm hoping they get shut down. It's demonic, by the way. I know many of you know that, but just in case, it's demonic. And so really he, he learned by divination that the Lord had blessed him because of Jacob. So in other words, it appears that Laban used occult practices to find out this information or to learn this information. And of course, as you keep reading the Bible, Leviticus 19.26, for example, this will be something, practicing divination, fortune telling, that stuff like that. You see that the Lord will prohibit it. But again, we know it's still going on today. There's still demonic forces today, so it's no surprise. But in verses 28 through 30, it says, Then he said, Name me your wages. This is Laban, the uncle, the uncle of Jacob. Name me your wages, and I will give it. And so Jacob said to him, You know how I served you and how your livestock has been with me. For what you had before I came was little, and it has increased to a great amount. The Lord has blessed you since my coming. And now, when shall I also provide for my own house? He's been serving him 14 years. Now he's ready. He just wanted to be on his own with his family, provide for his own house, instead of only being used to build someone else's wealth. But not only that, we know that he was a faithful servant to his uncle Laban. But we see that Laban is willing to keep him around at all costs. You, what do you want to be paid? I got you. I, I can pay that. What, what do you want to be paid? You see, he was only concerned about his blessings more than his son-in-law and what was good for him. In fact, I would even submit he was, he was more concerned about his blessings more than the blesser who was God. You see, Laban, he didn't care that Jacob wasn't getting a chance to live his life alone with this family. He didn't, he didn't care that Jacob wasn't getting a chance to, to, to build his wealth. You know, there was something selfish about his desire. In verses 31 to 34, it says, so he said, what shall I give you? And Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. If you will do this thing for me, I will again feed and keep your flocks. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from there all the speckled and spotted sheep and all the brown or the black ones. Some translations say black ones among the lambs and the spotted and speckled um, among the goats. And these shall be my wages. So my righteousness or in other words, my honesty will answer for me in time to come. That is in the future when the subject of my wages comes before you. And so everyone. So every every you know, animal in this flock that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and brown among the lambs will be considered stolen if it is with me. And Laban said, oh, that it were according to your word. So in other words, I, I agree. We, shake, we can shake hands on that. And so we see that Jacob made a proposal to Laban and he didn't want Laban to give him anything, by the way, but he offered to shepherd and supervise um, Laban's flocks as he always had been doing the past 14 years. And he said, said that my pay 
In fact, it's going to be the less desired animals, these animals that have markings on it. I'll go ahead and take those or, or the sheep that are brown or black, depending on which version of the Bible you're reading. But basically what's going on here is that Jacob wanted the speckled and spotted offspring. But first he had to separate uh, the currently speckled or spotted animals from the rest of Laban's flock. And so, so that's what he wanted to do. Uh, and Laban, of course, he agreed. And he agreed. Why? Because he felt that he had the upper hand. And so remember that Jacob is the one who requested to, to remove those speckled and spotted animals from the flock. I'll, I'll remove them. I'll separate them. But notice what happens here. This, this is right in line with Laban's character in verse 35. It says, so he, speaking of Laban, Laban, um, he did this secretly, by the way, but he would remove that day the male goats that were speckled and spotted. All the female goats that were speckled and spotted, everyone uh, that had some white in it, and and all the brown ones among the lambs. And he gave them into the hand of his sons. And then he put three days journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flock. And so Laban really had the intention of of not leaving uh, Jacob with anything. Since only now you have the normal or the solid colored animals left. And so he wasn't going to leave his son-in-law anything. Also at the same son-in-law, nephew, anything. And so again, we see his selfishness and we even see his greed. You know, left up to Laban. He, wouldn't, he would have gotten free labor out of Jacob, even still. And so Jacob now, what he did in verse 37, did something interesting. He, he took for himself rods or branches of green poplar, poplar and of the almond and, and the chestnut trees. And it says that he peeled white strips or stripes in them. And he exposed the white, which was in the rods or these branches. And so they were, they were striped. And so um, the, these branches, so you would have... Um, brown then then white then brown then white so they were striped that way and so he says in verse and it says in verse 38 and the rods or these branches which he had peeled he set before the flocks in the gutters and the watering troughs where the flocks came to drink so that they should conceive when they came to drink and so the flocks conceived before the rods and the flocks brought forth streaks speckled and spotted so this is one of those interesting set of scriptures that that we come across in Genesis and so in Genesis I get all the you know the crazy verses that I have to spend time explaining but praise God there's an explanation and but but there are, I do want to say that there are different views about Jacob's method here you know, why did he do this? Why did he take the, these rods or these branches and, and, and make them stripe by peeling, you know, some alternately? So where you have bark, then white exposed and bark and white exposed and then put them in the gutters and the watering troughs. So when the flocks came to drink, they could see what, what was that about? You see, some people see this as his superstition. And then there are some uh, Bible teachers who who see this. As a demonstration of the science of selective breeding. But then when you read the Hebrew word behind the word conceive, the Hebrew word behind the word conceive there means to be hot or to mate, speaking of animals. So in other words, 
It was to help these animals to be in heat. That was his strategy. That's what he had in mind to help these animals to be in heat so that, um, again, their, their sexual activity will be stimulated. Because he wanted them to have as many offspring as possible. So during his service there, as he, as he you know, oversaw these flocks for what is going to turn out to be another six years here. He wanted to have as many speckled and spotted as possible. Because remember, Laban had already removed them. And so now he had to get going. And so he, this was his strategy that he used. And indeed, it, it seemed like something worked because it says uh, that the flocks conceived before the rocks and, and, and the flocks brought forth streaks, speckled and spotted. And so, um, you know, you have certain traits. We all have certain traits within us based on our DNA, right? And so some of the traits that we have based on our DNA are what you would call recessive. And then you have some that are dominant. And so my wife and I, we both have brown eyes. So that will be more of a dominant trait within us. So you would expect most of our children to have brown eyes, which, which they do. But then if, let's say, one of our children came out and they had green eyes, that would be more of a recessive trait. And so these animals that were left over, they have these recessive traits in them of, of speckled and spotted and so forth. And so a, a bunch of them came out. And so, wow, something is going on here. These animals coming out with these recessive traits coming through when it was only these uh, normal color flocks or or animals here. And in verse 40, it says, then then Jacob separated the lambs and and made the flocks face toward the street and all the brown in the flock of Laban. Uh, But he put his own flocks by themselves and did not put them with Laban's flock. And so notice that he made the flocks face toward the street and all the brown in the flock of Laban. So what is that about? Because Laban's flocks are like a three days journey away. So how are they doing this? And so I, I, would, I would surmise or I would suggest to you that, that maybe he's making these flocks face towards Laban's street and, and brown and spotted flock that were three days journey away, even though they couldn't just physically see them, you know, near, maybe he was doing that as a symbolic gesture. And so in other words, he, he had them face Laban's spotted and speckled and brown um, animals that were three days journey away. He, he, in other words, he had them to do it out of faith and out of hope that his solid colored flock would give offspring to more streaked or spotted flock for himself. But then it came to pass in verse 41 that whenever the stronger livestock conceived that that Jacob placed the rods before the eyes of the livestock in the gutters that they might conceive among the rods. But when the flocks were feeble, when they were weak, he didn't put them in. See, he didn't want the, the, the weaker animals in the flock to conceive. And he didn't want any weak ones. And so the feebler, the weaker of the flocks were Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus, the man, speaking of Jacob, he became exceedingly prosperous and he had large flocks of, that is of sheep and goats. And he had female and male servants and camels and donkeys. And so, yes, we see that Jacob had his own strategy here. He was doing some things 
um, with the flocks. I won't say his own strategy, but I'll just say he, he, he used the strategy here. He did some things physically, but ultimately to have you know that those animals that were born from the solid colored flock of animals, though those streaked and spotted that were born, that was the Lord's doing. And that's not a guess, by the way, because if you turn to uh, Genesis 31, you turn to Genesis, uh, there we go, 31 verses 9 through 12. It says, so God, and he's talking here to Leah and Rachel. And so in Genesis 31, 9, he says, so God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. And it happened at the time when the flocks conceived that I lifted my eyes and saw in a dream. And behold, the rams which leaped upon the flocks were streaked, speckled, and gray spotted. Then the angel of God spoke to me in a dream saying, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift your eyes now and see all the rams which leap upon the flocks are streaked, speckled, and gray spotted. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. So ultimately, in spite what what Jacob done, this was the Lord's doing of why he prospered in this way. Why, why the sheep and goats that he said that he would take as his wages. Why there were so many. So here's the thing. When, when the Lord wants to prosper or bless someone, nobody can stop it. Because we see that Laban had secretly removed the flock that would have given offspring to Jacob's flock. He did that, but God still worked it out. Because it was God's will from eternity to prosper Jacob. If it is God's will for you to be elevated or whatever the case may be, there is nothing that the enemy, the spiritual enemy, demons, the devil can do or man can do to stop what God desires to do for you, in you, and through you. And so here's the thing, brothers and sisters, if, if you may not, Think that you're the most qualified. You may not be the most qualified, but, but no one can stop it if God has that in his plan for you. You see, people or the devil may scheme against you. They may stack the cards against you, the deck, whatever you want to call it, against you. They, they may close doors in your face, but if God wants to elevate you, if he wants to bless you, if he wants to use you, there is, there is nothing that man or the enemy can do to stop it. Our God is sovereign. You see, both Laban and Jacob, both of these men, they were aware that Laban had been blessed by the Lord ever since Jacob showed up. Remember verses 27 and 30, and I'll just read 30 to you just as a reminder, because Jacob says to Laban, he says, for what you had before I came was little and it has increased to a great amount. The Lord has blessed you since my coming. And now when shall I also provide for my own house? So they were both aware that Laban has been blessed by the Lord ever since Jacob showed up. So the question I have is when you show up, can people say that about you? When you show up, can people say that they've been blessed by the Lord through you? 
You see, we should be a blessing when we show up because, first of all, we have a relationship with God through faith in Christ. Are people blessed or is it that people can't wait for you to leave? Do you make a situation better or do you make it worse? And of course, through the power of God, do you make it better? You see, our presence should bring the Lord's blessings because, again, not only do we have a relationship, but the Holy Spirit indwells us. And then after being baptized with the Holy Spirit, he overflows from our lives. Therefore, when we leave, like Jacob is getting ready to leave, the situation should be better than how we found it. You see, right now, just just to make it applicable as the worship team takes the stage where we're talking about ministry. And I like what one Bible scholar wrote in the book called On Being a Servant of God. Warren Wearsby says that ministry takes place when divine resources meet human needs through loving channels to the, to the glory of God. Ministry takes place when divine resources meet human needs through loving channels. So we should be the loving channels to the glory of God. And so we are blessed, in other words, to be in a position to be a blessing to others. We are blessed, in other words, to be a conduit of God's blessing to others. For we are to be a channel, a loving channel of God's resources. He blesses us, he even blesses us with certain things. So we can be a blessing if you want to see that statement that way. Because we are blessed with material resources, not to hog it, but to, to allow God to use us to bless others. We're blessed with spiritual gifts to bless others. The characteristics of Christ like love, not to hog it for ourselves, but to share that love with others. We're to be a blessing to other people via the word of God, not to hog the word of God to ourselves, but we're blessed with the word of God to be a blessing through the power of God to others. Bless them with the word of God. So are you allowing the Lord to use you as a vessel to bless someone else? Are you in that place? Another quote from Wearsby says, in Christian ministry, problems with people are among the most difficult to bear. And the people who have and cause the greatest problems are those who need us most. That's why we must be loving channels, no matter how people may respond to our ministry. So no matter how Jacob was treated by Laban, God used him to be a blessing to Laban because God was working in and through him. And so for us as believers, if God is blessing people through us, if God is blessing people through you, I just wonder something tonight. Are you giving God the glory? Because Jacob didn't hog it for himself. He didn't tell Laban, yes, you're blessed only because of me. No, no, Jacob acknowledged that the Lord has blessed you since my coming. And so he gave God honor and we should give God the glory. We should give God the credit whenever somebody is blessed through our ministry because it's all about him. Because God is the one who supplies the power. God is the one who supplied our life, our, our both our physical life and our spiritual life. 
He is the one who provides those open doors or opportunities for ministry. He is the one, if you're using your talents to bless others, he's the one who's blessed you with the talents. Therefore, it is only right that God should get the glory if you are being used by God to be a loving channel so that God could get his blessing to other people. Amen. Let's stand as we sing this last song and let's bow our hearts and pray. Father, we thank you for allowing us to be in a position to be used by you. We're thankful to be in a position to partner with you in your work as channels, loving channels for you to do your work through us. And Lord, if there's anyone who has not been serving or using the spiritual gifts you want them to use, I pray that you'll stir their hearts tonight to get to work for you, Father. For the time is short. And for anyone who does not have a personal relationship with you, I pray, Father, that you would chip away at the hardness of their hearts, that you would draw them to Jesus, that they will come to know that they are sinners in need of a Savior, and that they are on their way to hell without Jesus. Lord, may that thought, may those words just rattle around in their minds over and over we thank you Lord for saving us who are saved and for the ones you're going to save may you use us this week according to your will and according to your power and may you get the glory may you get the credit Father in Jesus' name Amen Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.